The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. And let's turn now to today's scripture reading. It's from John 13, 21 to 38. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of the disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. And Jesus said to him, What you are doing, going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give some money, something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me, but you will follow afterwards. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Thank you so much, Bethany. It's so good to have you here with us. Well, today we're going to look at this passage, and in it we can see that first, God's in control. And second, the cross is the one place we have to run to to find rest. And then out of the cross comes a command to love and to love one another. And so we're going to look at that. But I want to tell you something. When I was or in the summer before my ninth grade year, I got the opportunity to go on a trip with one of my closest friends. And I want you to know I have found that from Vicksburg, Mississippi, where I'm from, to Acapulco, Mexico, is 1,545.4 miles. We rode in the back of a truck, had a 
top on it. You know, you could do that back then. All that way till we got to Acapulco. And the whole way, my friend Lance was saying, I can't wait to go parasailing. He had looked it up and you could go parasailing in Acapulco. It was the first time I'd really ever heard of it. And I'm afraid of heights. And I was like, that's fine. You can go. I'm not going. And he wouldn't shut up about it. And finally, I said, I don't want to hear about it again. I'm not going. You can go. I'll support you. Well, we got there, and sure enough, there, there it was out in the middle of the bay. You could go out to this dock, and they would take you off, and you would parasail. Well, I said, well, again, I'm not going. I'll go to the dock. I went, and I sat on the corner, kind of stood and was looking around. It was beautiful. And I heard them doing the little training, the little class. I heard them. They were, they were, and there was Spanish going on. I, don't, I can't speak Spanish. But I wasn't paying attention because I wasn't getting the training because I was not going parasailing. And all of a sudden, they started hooking me up with a life vest that was attached to a rope that I assumed went to the boat of which took you parasailing and I didn't want to go parasailing and I said no 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 I'm here with my friend and I hear andale andale <laughs> well I can't speak Spanish but I've seen enough cowboy movies I thought this is not good and I hear the boat wow and I look out and it takes off I look down and the rope is just and I was taking it off, and I thought, oh, that's probably not a good thing. So I, I put it back on, and about that time, it jerked me enough to bounce me on the water like a rock skips across water. And he kept going and going and going. I thought, well, I think all my skin has been torn off, and he's never going to stop. Finally, he stopped, and I thought, thank you, Jesus. And then the parachute caught up with me because clearly it didn't catch the wind. And I'm a good swimmer, but it was getting all tangled around me. And I thought, I didn't want to go parasailing, and now I'm going to die in Acapulco Bay. Well, they grabbed me and got me back to the dock, and I was like, oh, thank you, Jesus. And I started taking it off again, and I hear those words, andale, andale. And I thought, for the love, no. And here I hear the boat go and the rope starts going again. And I thought, well, this time I'm going to run and jump. Clearly, that was part of the training that I didn't receive. And so I ran and jumped and it jerked me in the air and then shot me down probably to the very bottom of the bay. I thought, well, I survived the first round and now I'm going to drown at the bottom of Acapulco Bay. Evidently, the parachute caught, though. And it snatched me out of the water 9,000 miles an hour. That was the year that Ocean Pacific came out with their ba uh, bathing suits that didn't use string. It was very stylish. <laughs> it used Velcro. Well, string works better at 900 miles an hour from the bottom of the bay. And when I got snatched out of the water, my swimming suit didn't come with me. <laughs> Thankfully, I caught my swimming suit between my big toe and the toe next to it. And I thought, please, Jesus, don't let me let go of the swimsuit. After we had made two rounds around the bay, past all the condominiums on the beach, 
I, was, I thought, well, I've got to try to get my swimsuit. I was so scared of losing it. I did get it and pull it back up. And I want you to know I'm not afraid of heights anymore. <laughs> Have you ever felt completely out of control? Have you ever been caught off guard by something that happens in life? Have you ever felt so naked and ashamed and worried and out of control? You see, the disciples are celebrating the Passover meal. It's just normal life. And then they get hit upside the head with several things. Jesus says, I'm about to leave you. I'm not going to be with you anymore. And they're shocked. And then he says, where I'm going, you can't come. And they're shocked. And then he says, hey, one of you in this group, in our closest friend group, is going to betray me. You see, in this fallen world and as fallen human beings, we don't have control, do we? We get caught off guard by the hard things that happen to us in life. Sometimes because of our own doing, but a lot of times because we just live in a fallen world and we're a fallen people. But here we have this beautiful picture in this scripture. Look at it. Verse 21, one of you is going to betray me. Verse 26, Jesus answered, is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I've dipped it in the dish. Verse 38, very truly I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Do you see the control that God has? He wasn't caught off guard. He wasn't surprised. He's in complete and absolute control. And sometimes it looks like he's not. Where is he headed? Just after this, what happens to him? He goes to the cross. And the disciples' lives are turned completely upside down. And they felt out of control. But you see, our passage tells us that he's in control. And we can trust it. Look at the disciples, verse 22. The disciples stared at one another at a loss to know. And here's another thing. Look at verse 27. Judas thinks his plan is a secret. Look at verse 27 again. Satan thinks he's being sneaky. Satan thinks this plan to kill Jesus is in the dark. But God is in control. God is the king. God is the ruler and controller of this universe. Psalm 103, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Or Ephesians 1.11, he works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Jonathan Edwards put it this way, the great end of God's works, which is so variously expressed in Scripture, is indeed by one. And this is one end is most properly and comprehensively called the glory of God. You see, we see in this passage 
He's not surprised. He's in complete control, and he's at work to carry out his plans and his purposes for his glory. Romans eleven thirty six. For from him and through him and to him are all things, period. To him be glory forever. Do you feel exposed? Do you feel afraid? Do you feel wronged? Do you feel hurt? Do you feel disappointed? Are you struggling with addiction? Are you struggling with anger? Are you anxious? Are you confused? Don't run from God. Run to him. Because he's in complete control. Now, that's comforting if we know he's good. And our passage shows us that as well. If we know God is loving, then him being in control is a glorious thing, isn't it? But can we trust him? You know, if you're like me, and you are, it's so easy. We so quickly get suspicious of him, don't we? He does have rules. He does have commands, doesn't he? He created us, and he tells us how to live, and yet often we don't want to live like that, do we? We don't want him or anything else or anybody else telling us how to live and how to operate. And yet, if he's good and if he's loving, isn't it the best place to go to find healing and health? It is. And we know he's loving because of what's next. Did you see it in our passage? Where I'm going, you can't come with me right now. Because where is he going? To the cross. He's in control. And that control for his glory leads him to the cross. There's no greater expression of love. There's no better picture or portrait of care and provision. On the cross, we see his glory. The Son is glorified, and our passage says, and the Father is glorified. How is that? Well, the Son is glorified in that he comes as the Lamb of God, come to take away the sins of the earth. The one true substitute, a baby born that we might be saved. He becomes our propitiation. He is to be the propitiation for our sin. That's a fancy word. What does that mean? To propitiate means to satisfy the wrath of God against sin, to turn away God's wrath, or to offer a sacrifice that appeases God's just judgment and righteous anger against us and our sin. Jesus is not simply the propitiator, but the propitiation. He is what satisfied the justice of God. In him and through his work, God is glorified. On the cross, we see God as he is, holy 
and loving. Just and the justifier. On the cross, he pours out his righteous, just wrath on Jesus for the sins of his people. Apart from Christ, we pay for our sin. But in Christ, the substitute, he paid what we owed. He redeemed us. He bought us back. And so we see his love and we see his holiness just and justifier. Safety and freedom for sinners like you and like me. He's in control. He's good. He's loving. And lastly, because of his love, because of that work that Jesus accomplished on our behalf, he calls us to love. Did you see it? To love like him. John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. One commentator put it, nothing in history reveals God's love as does the cross of Jesus. Romans 5, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died. And our passage says, now, Jesus says, I'm giving you a new commandment. Love one another as I love you. What's new about that? We see in Leviticus chapter 19, God said this to his people. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among you people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Why is that new? He's been telling us to love all the way back then. The thing that's different now is he says, Love like I loved you. That's the difference. The love that Christ gives to us is a sacrificing love. It's a selfless love. It puts others first. It's a love that went to the death. And so he calls us as the people of God to love, but to love like he loved And in that, he is glorified. I had a pastor friend of mine did this exercise with us. And so I want to do it with you. What's the most famous chapter or passage on love? 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 13. Well, if you look at verses 4 to 7, remember it? Love is patient, love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It's beautiful, isn't it? What if you take love out and put Jesus' name in? Listen to this. Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. Jesus is not arrogant or rude. Jesus does not insist on his own way. Jesus is not irritable or resentful. Jesus does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. But here's the hard part of this passage. That's easy to read. That's easy to hear, isn't it? But do you know what our passage is calling us to do today 
as the children of God, as the sons and daughters of God, as the people of God, as his church, do you know what he's asking us to do? Put our name there. So put your name here and listen with me. Todd is patient and kind. Todd does not envy or boast. Todd is not arrogant or rude. Todd does not insist on its his own way. Todd is not irritable or resentful. Todd does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Todd bears all things, believes all things, hopes all. Whew. That's uncomfortable, isn't it? And yet, it's what we're to be. It's who he's calling us to be. It's what how we're to live out in our relationships. First, our scripture says, with one another. But if we love like Jesus loves, then we take this kind of love into our world. But it starts here first. When you put your name in there, it makes it harder to read, doesn't it? It makes it harder to receive, doesn't it? But take heart. Don't lose hope. This is who Christ is calling us to be. This is the kind of covenant community he is making us to be. Sometimes it doesn't feel like that. Sometimes it doesn't look like that. But who's in control? Not you, not me, not Christ Presbyterian Church, not this world, not Satan. But Jesus, Jesus is in control. And what he calls us to do, he equips us to do. He pours out his Holy Spirit. If we have given our lives to Christ, then what does the Bible say? Jesus lives and rules and reigns in us. He will never leave or forsake us. And he will not be stopped. He will not be thwarted. He will not be caught off guard or surprised because he's the king and he's in control. And he loves us so much that he did, he accomplished, he finished the work that was required so that we could have peace with the holy God. And so that we could be saved and sent out first to one another. And as we love one another, that has to be the standard, y'all. As we love one another, as we work hard through the turmoil and through the confusion and through the hurt and through the sin to love one another like Christ loved us, he will change us. And the world will see him and know him through us and by us and because of our love. Now, how did our passage end? Lyric said it last week, don't you love Peter? Thank you, Jesus, for Peter. He was feisty. The Bible says he was a zealot. He was ready to go. He had backbone and gumption and fight and he believed in right and wrong and he wanted to stand and hold but he faltered here didn't he he got prideful and he said Jesus I'll go wherever you'll 
you go. I'll, I'll go to the death. And Jesus had to correct him. He always lovingly gives us the truth. He said, no, no, you're going to deny me. So when you fail, when you falter, be comforted. Even Peter faltered and failed at times. But we know the rest of the story about Peter, don't we? He did deny him three times because God's sovereign. But what happened? When Jesus rose again, because he died on the cross, but on the third day, he rose from the dead, defeating death, defeating sin, defeating Satan. And he went to Peter, and he said to him three times, I love you. Lead my people, feed my sheep. And guess what? That man that often put his foot in his mouth, like you and I, like I do, that got fired up and failed sometimes. He loved Jesus. And he went out into the world through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he preached the gospel. And he lived it out. And he loved sinners like you and like me. Because the Holy Spirit lived and ruled and reigned in him. And the world was forever changed. It's who we are. It's what we're called to. It's what God is doing, has done, and will do to and through us. Christ Presbyterian Church. Let us love. Because what does the Bible say? Love conquers all, right? He was a priest in the city of Rome during World War II. His name was Father O'Flaherty. He was an Irish Catholic priest, and he worked at the Vatican when World War II broke out. Pretty soon, Italy was overrun and taken over by the Nazis, and they took charge of the city, and Colonel Kepler was the Nazi in charge of that city. Soon he became suspicious of Father O'Flaherty, and he was suspicious that Father O'Flaherty was up to no good in regards to his German cause. And so he had Father O'Flaherty followed often, but they couldn't catch him. He was sure that Father O'Flaherty was getting Jews out, getting American soldiers out, getting anybody that was against the Germans out, and he wanted to catch him. But he couldn't. So pretty soon he began to do harder and harder things once he busted up into the Vatican and tortured uh, some of his fellow friends and, and priests and tried to get information out. But as hard as he tried... He could never catch him. Pretty soon it became obvious that the Germans were going to lose the war. And Colonel Kepler set up a meeting with Father O'Flaherty. He said, I know you. I know all about you. You and your love bus. You and your mercy wagon. You can't stop. You can't pass a beggar without stopping to help them. Well, I have three more for your love bus. You see, he was married and he had two young daughters. 
He said, will you get my family out? Because I know we've lost. And when the soldiers come in, I fear for what would happen to them. Father Flaherty was amazed. He yelled at Colonel Kepler. He said, are you serious? I can't believe you would ask me this. You, of all people, you have murdered and tortured my friends. You've turned this city into a concentration camp. How dare you ask me that? And he turned to walk, walk away. And Colonel Kepler said, you say God is love. The Bible says, love your enemies. Charity, mercy, love, are they not real? And they separate him. Well, that city was captured by the Allies, and Colonel Kapler was captured and tried and sentenced. But before they took him away, some American soldiers came in and said, how did you do it? How did you get them out? What, what was your secret? And Colonel Kepler was like, what are you talking about? Who are you talking about? He said, we know you have a wife. We know you have two daughters. Where are they? How did you get them out of the city? And Colonel Kepler was honest. He said, I don't know. But he smiled because he knew. After the war, he was imprisoned and given a life sentence. But he had one visitor that came. He'd visit once a month, and he visited him till his death. In 1959, Colonel Kepler was baptized by an Irish priest into a true saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I saw true love, and it was irresistible. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you and we thank you. Would you enable us? Would you help us to love like you call us to love? We know we can't do it in and of ourselves, but you call us to it. Would you accomplish it for your glory and for our blessing? We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.